Happy New Year. It's 2022. Where did this come from? How? How are we here? Where did 2021 go? Where did 2020 go? Oh, I feel amazing. I feel really, really good kicking off the new year, new podcast guests, new episodes. Today, I am joined by the amazing Shay Rook, and she is from Roustabout Theatre. You can follow Roustabout at We Are Roustabout on Twitter. You can also go to their website, roustabouttheatre.co.uk. We're talking all about Shay's inspirations, about how she got started when she first moved to Bristol, went to Bristol Vic Theatre School. We're talking about family theatre, and we just cover so, so much. It's such a great great episode you're really going to enjoy it also i want to give a big shout out to all the guests that were on the podcast last year we had some amazing chats and there's so much more to come as we go on into this brand new year this last year i watched 70 plays i normally do like a top 10 list but you know because of the pandemic and all things like that i've not done a top 10 list this year um but some of my highlights i absolutely loved hairspray incredible rockets and blue lights at the national i also loved fair play at the bush theater that was on recently and that is just some shows just off the top of my head as i'm standing in the booth recording the beginning this intro it's monday the 3rd of january why 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 it's amazing. So without further ado, let's listen to the interview with Shay. Enjoy. Basically start, like, how did you get started with theatre and performing and how did, how did that all begin? Well, um, like many actors, it began when I was a child and I went to the theatre and I saw a musical. I saw um, Showboat and I was so in awe of this, the the, I just was, was all struck by this story happening in front of me as if sort of for real. And it was from that moment that I thought, yeah, that's what I want to do. So, and while I haven't got into musicals, I, I've always been, I think I've been hooked on live theatre since then. So, yeah, so I started, you know, I started by doing drama classes as a child and um, I was in like the Australian Youth Theatre, which was a great um, opportunity at the time and then did it you know drama was always my favorite subject in school and in high school and um, but when I finished high school I was convinced well I was persuaded to try a more sensible career and so I actually studied psychology for four years after finishing school um, and only just made it through that degree because I was well and truly certain by the end of that that my heart was in the theater and that's where I was going to go so then yeah so then I um, I Having just finished a four-year degree in Sydney, I didn't want to go back into like three years of study in that way because I was, you know, just, just that was uh, I wanted a different sort of pattern in, in life. So um, I started looking overseas for shorter courses and like a taster of what I what might be in store. And the first place I ended up going was uh, New York, and I did a, a short course over there over the summer at a school called um, the Atlantic Acting School and saw just lots of amazing theatre, lots of musicals on Broadway um, and that, you know, only to further um, prove to myself, this is, yeah, this is the place in the world I want to be in. And then I hung around there for uh, a while after the course had finished, just soaking up life in New York City. But eventually I ran out of money and my visa was going to expire. So I headed back to Sydney and it was um, 
then that I, I heard about, um, or I first considered studying in the UK and basically the visa was easier to get to go to the UK than to go back to the US. So I looked into options there. And of course, you know, there are so many amazing schools and amazing theatres uh, in the UK. And, and that was a, an, an amazing other avenue to explore. And that was 10 years ago. So yeah, that, like, that was sort of a, a long beginning, but um, it took a bit of a run up my start to theatre. Yeah. Had, had, was that the first time you had been to the UK when you went to travel to, to train? I'd been once before for my mum and my stepdad's wedding. So a few years before I, I moved, but I, I, when I moved to study, it was the first time I'd ever been to Bristol. I didn't know where Bristol was when I booked my ticket. <laughs> so it, it was a punt that really paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was, can you remember like some of your first experiences of Bristol and just what it was like? I remember getting in a cab and the driver was, now I know, characteristically friendly. And he was telling me about how he'd once driven Beyonce from the airport to somewhere in Bristol. And I mean, this could have been a tall tale, but he had me wrapped around his little finger and I was nodding away thinking, yeah, this is a great place. This is cool. Yeah, I arrived in September and I loved this. Like I, I, I loved the, the seasons uh, and that season in, in particular in the autumn. I always feel very nostalgic when the leaves start to change colour and fall off the trees because it's my first real rich memory of my life in the UK and then yeah I moved into a house that was up by the Downs and that was just a, a you know it's a lovely place to live to have the Downs on your doorstep but I went for a walk on not knowing how quickly or how soon you know how early it gets dark uh, as the winter's you know crawling in in the northern hemisphere and I got very lost on the downs and it was well and truly dark by the time I got home and a neighbor came out to tell me that I mustn't do that again and she'd been very worried about me ever since she saw this girl trot off and not come back so I had said on the way out oh I'm going to the downs and she had obviously thought oh I hope she's back by dark and yeah so it was a very friendly place I felt immediately like oh yeah this is nice <laughs> and you went to Bristol Vic Theatre School didn't you I did. How did you find it? Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I loved it. So I was there for a year on the um, international program. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. The training was great. Um, and I was just so thrilled to finally be at a drama school like I'd wanted to do. Yeah, I'd, I'd wanted to do that my whole life. And it was finally happening. And the pe you know, the people that I trained with, I think we had such an amazing bond because not only were you know anyone that your cohort at drama school you go through a unique thing together that's difficult to explain to people who aren't there with you like friends not in theater what that's really like but when you're all also away from home having you know moved across the world there were some some of us from Australia from Canada from um, North America I think they, they were the only three countries that all of the different people were from. But you become, you know, you really are each other's family for that time. And so it was, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And I'm still, I'm still in touch with lots of my cohort. We, some, two of them got married um, quite recently. It felt very much like a reunion. So yeah, the, the people that, um, that I met and, and still, still know and love is, is definitely one of the best takeaways from drum school. And did you, did you stay in Bristol afterwards? I stayed in Bristol for a year, yes. So um, my partner at the time um, was also at the drama school on the two-year program. So I, I loved Bristol, was very happy to stay. And um, it was nice that he was there too. So yeah, so I lived in Bristol for the, the year after I graduated and then also for about another six months. So I, yeah, I left kicking and screaming only because an opportunity arose in London and, you know, 
you go where the work is and all of that but but I've actually just since moved back to Bristol so I've done yeah and I live about 250 yards from the first house I ever moved into so some might say my life looks like it's going in circles (laughs) that's really nice because when we did it's not all zoom and gloom you were in London and then you moved to Brighton is that right that's right yeah and um is that when your theatre company paperback theatre company started or was that before Bristol was that Paperback, yeah. So it started. Um, it started soon after I graduated. So um, I was working in a pub, the Alma, which is just around the corner from the theatre school. The theatre manager there came downstairs one day in a bit of a panic because uh, a theatre company had pulled out at the last minute to a, a show um, that was coming up in like maybe ten, eight to ten weeks, which is quite, a, you know, that's quite soon in terms of programming timelines. And she didn't know what to do. And she was saying, oh, I, just, I don't know who to go to for this slot. And like, oh, what am I going to do? And uh, one of the other bar staff said to me, why don't, why, don't you, why don't you do it? And I had never, ever thought, I didn't even know what like theatre producing really entailed. Um, but I thought this is a good way to find out. So I signed on the dotted line to do a show, not that I knew what we were going to do. I didn't even, I, I mean, it was just little old me, had no idea. But, you know, someone gave me a bit of a push and I, and I went for it. Um, and then, yes, um, a fellow graduate, another fellow Aussie graduate um, uh, jumped on board with me and we put our heads together and decided that we really missed, we missed home and we missed Australian work and we wanted to share some, you know, Australian culture and stories that we thought would, um, that, w- that were great and resonate with well, people everywhere, you know, like any good story does. So that's how Paperbark started. Yeah, and we were very lucky, you know, not only for that opportunity to come up out of the blue and for someone to take a, you know, to someone to, to, to take a risk saying yes to me to put a show on at that point in time. The play that we eventually ended up doing had recently won an award in um, Sydney uh, for a, um, one of the a new writing award. And it's a fantastic play. But it hadn't had, um, due to reasons I don't know, just hadn't had sort of the run or the life yet that the writer was after. So when um, Ollie, that's my um, paperback partner, and I approached the the playwright, um, she said, yes, just have it. Just just do someone do my play. I just want someone to do my play. So again, she took a, yeah, took a risk um, with us and and gave us a chance. And um, yeah, and then it it just, it was a, a, a two-hander um, that suited my casting and Ollie's casting really well. We worked with a director from the theatre school. So, you know, it's lovely when you have a network of people after graduating from um, somewhere like that. And, yeah, we, we put it on once and then again, and then we took it to Edinburgh and then we took it to the New York Fringe and it just kept rolling and rolling. And, yeah, it was a wonderful introduction to um, theatre producing and, and taking control of the work that you do. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It must have been great to go back to New York like this time after having graduated and to bring to take a show there. What what was performing in New York like? Oh, it was amazing. It was um so we were at the New York Fringe, which is quite different to the Edinburgh Fringe in that it's curated, so there is a smaller number of shows and uh, and more support thrown behind each of them. And we through a strange turn of events had um, struck this deal with a, a press officer there. We couldn't afford him, but he um, he was really into um, celebrity perfumes. And there were a few celebrity perfumes like The Voice, His and Hers, which comes in a microphone squirter thing um, that you could only get in the UK. 
So the deal was that he would help us um, do the press for the show if we brought him like six or seven of these UK celebrity fragrances. So again, like this lucky thing happened to support the show. So we had good audiences because we'd brought over steps, the fragrance and the voice, the fragrance. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then so it was, it was, you know, in terms of audience numbers, it was a big jump from where we'd been in Edinburgh, which was still, we still had a good time there and a good run, but suddenly we were in this 200 seater and it was full and we were like, what's happening? There are all these people here to see our show. And the differences between, I mean, it was, an, yeah, that was an amazing feeling that the first show that we had tried to put on had been, had gone so well. And, you know, we felt very proud of and was being well reviewed and, you know, the New York Times came and all these crazy things were happening. But one of the biggest, yeah, one of the biggest differences in, um, in terms of like characters, character of the audience between um, the UK and and well, New York, uh, is how vocal they are. So there were like, there were interchanges between um, the characters and there was like a lot of multi-rolling that happened in this show. Uh, and the audience would sort of respond as if they were one of the other characters. So if like something happened that they didn't like, they'd be like, oh no, she didn't, or oh, what? And they're just very, like, very vocally engaged. So you had to learn to leave pauses, not just for laughs, but for like vocal reactions. They were like involuntary. Yeah, that yeah. must be great to know that they are just there with you and experiencing it and they want to be vocal. They want to sort of not even necessarily be part of it. It's just like they can't help themselves because they're just sort of drawn in, drawn into it and everything. How did Roustabout come about? Was that soon after or not? Yes, quite. Um, so I think we took the, the play I was talking about um, the, uh, the one I was just talking about it's called This Is Where We Live so I think we took that to um, on that little tour 2014 and then um, another paperback show happened maybe two years later and that was called The Dark Room and that was on at Theatre 503 it was just after that I decided I needed a bit of a break from producing and I, I, would, I was really hoping that a fun acting job came by just so I could you know be silly on stage and not have to worry about budgets or fundraising for a bit and lo and behold Toby Hulse who is a wonderful writer and director in um, Bristol based uh, got who was also a tutor of mine at um, drama school so how I that's how I knew him he did clowning and improvisation and uh, he was lots of people's favorites still is he yeah he got in touch to say that a show uh, that he had worked on many years ago like in 2008 um, called One Small Step was uh, being toured again and this time um, they were recasting it so instead of it being two male actors there would be uh, a man and a woman and he asked if I'd like to do it and I it was yeah it was exactly what I was looking for and I said yes and then it happened that the other actor in the show was another brilliant um, performer called Robin Hemmings uh, who Toby had also worked with a lot um, I forgot to say earlier that Toby and I had worked quite a lot together after drama school so okay Robin and I each had this like Toby connection and then he brought us together on this show um, One Small Step which toured for about uh, two years and was uh, it was a basically a really lovely team dynamic the three of us had a great time working together and felt like there might be um, yeah much more to much more sort of juice from that lemon to squeeze and uh, if we pulled all of our like skills, they were quite, which were quite, quite complementary, um, that maybe we could have a crack at a, a at another theatre company. So that's 
yeah, that's how Rastabout um, was born. The moment of its uh, birth was actually while cutting out uh, cardboard stars in a car park waiting for a tent to be erected um, at Blenheim Palace. And there'd been some disruptions to the schedule of this particular get-in. We weren't necessarily meant to be cutting out um, stars, but, you know, best to stay busy. And, that, and as we were cutting them out, someone said, Wouldn't, do, do, you think we could, do you think we could do this? Do you think we could maybe just you know, start a company ourselves. And I think because we're all improvisers, you you say yes and to everything. And then two and a half years later, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what, what was your, what was the first show? Was it, was Luna the first show with Rastabat? That's right. Yeah. Luna, which was a play about the moon. Um, so everything, it, it was like a celebration of ooh, everything humans have ever come to know about the moon. So from a scientific perspective, a historical perspective, mythological, um, scientific, and it was presented as a, yeah, like kind of like a sketch show, like a review show um, with recurring characters that explored one of those threads. Uh, so yeah, sort of, a, and, and hosted as if you will, by these, two little moon explorers who wanted to, to learn everything there was to know about the moon. And so I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a bit of a space theme going on. Yeah. So after that, we were like, Let, can we, is, do we have any other ideas that aren't about the moon? Much as we love the moon. And yeah, but I mean, Luna toured for, that was our, our first tour and the first show and it went well and confirmed that we did all still like working together and this was, this was going to work. And yeah, so then we made This Island's Mine. And by this point, We'd started to identify how the three of us who had previously worked, you know, um, once together, but a lot in pairs with, with Toby, how the three of us were, were going to, what the dynamic of that really was going to be, particularly with regards to the creation of um, and the development of, of work. So we'd all done a lot. It's a family theatre company, Rastabout. And when I say family, I mean, we try to make work that we describe like Pixar Pixar films. Um, so, so theater that you could go to whether or not you have children and still have a great time. And, you know, you get something, um, you could go if you're three, you can go if you're 103 and it would still hopefully be a rich theatrical experience for you. And we just, given that we'd each had a lot of experience with that kind of work, as well as uh, working in schools and with young people, we wanted to make sure that the development process of our work involved um, the target audiences that we would eventually tour to. So now we run, and this started with our second show, This Island's Mine. Um, we go into schools and run workshops and whereby the students don't just sort of explore the themes of and, and you know, dra use drama games and techniques to, to do that. They also end up providing uh, song lyrics or dialogue or like their ideas are direct, directly influence or, or appear in the scripts. And um, that's been something that we've, yeah, that, that we've used um, repeatedly now. That's, that's sort of our process. Yeah, yeah, that's really, that's really exciting. So this year you did Dinosaurs and All That Rubbish that was with Waterman's Theatre, which is based on the book, isn't it? Is that correct? That's correct. And uh, how, did, how did that come about? Was that from previous tours? That was, um, so we have, so it's, it's one of Toby's favourite old books, he and Robin actually had um, have done a few shows um, that were also based on books by Michael Foreman, who is the author also of Dinosaurs and All That Rubbish. So there was a relationship there. Meanwhile, we had an opportunity come up with with Waterman's um, based on our previous work. We've been trying to develop a relationship and they 
um, came to us and said, look, we're looking for some digital work during lockdown, um, that this was lockdown at the beginning of 2021. Um, do you have any ideas or what have you got? And so those two things kind of aligned at the right time and during a lockdown um, to, to, give, to provide this opportunity for us to pursue that. And I think also the company had been running then for um, the best part of 18 months, coming on two, coming on two years. So we had a little bit more bargaining power, I guess, with like publishers to, to get the rights to a book that, um, you know, is quite popular. And so it was everything, we were just in the right, like everyone was in the right position relationship wise and company wise. And yeah, that was that. Yeah, it was it was wonderful that we made a three part online series. Um, so three 10 minute episodes. And we worked with an animator, um, the wonderful Will Monks who um, animated the drawing, the drawings and the beautiful illustrations of the book, which are just gorgeous. These incredible watercolor uh, paintings. They're just, uh, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing picture book. Um, anyway, so he animated most of those, but the, the, the man, the, the, the silly man in the story who ruins planet Earth by wanting to go into, in, uh, into space, sound familiar? He, <laughs> um, I played him, so there was like, you know, real act actors interacting with animated drawings. And then uh, Robin and I also played um, the dinosaur, other dinosaurs, sort of the dancing dinosaurs in the show. So it was a, a mishmash of um, artistic styles and techniques. And um, and then, yeah, and then we wrote some, uh, Robin wrote um, some three um, original songs to complement the piece to sort of give you know, to see what else you, what more we could do with the story, where we could take it. And yeah, and that, that was the digital version. And now thanks to that, um, we, uh, we've, we've just finished development on the live stage version, which should tour in 2022 funding dependent, come on arts council. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, so, it's ready to go and it has more songs and it's, yeah, it, it should be, it's in the style of gig theatre. Um, so I, I think it'll be a real, I think audiences will have a really good time watching it while, you know, also the, the essence of the book is, um, it's an ecological tale about doing better to look after the planet and being aware of your impact on it. So it, it yeah, I think you'll have a good time and leave thinking a bit more about what we can do in yeah the big picture yeah that sounds really exciting I really enjoyed watching them online so I'm glad that it's going to go out and and tour and everything well let's talk about it's uh not all zoom and gloom and how how that came about which I guess was a response to lockdown yeah so it's not all it's not all zoom and gloom was I'd say like step two of three in our um what are we going to make while the world is closed period. So step one, like, you know, like lots and lots of theatre companies, um, we, we had archival footage of a play at Love Luna. And we thought that, and the, that um, when lockdown in 2020 happened, we had about six weeks worth of touring cancelled. So we thought, okay, um, let's, we'll put it out there. And, uh, and, and that's a good way for people to still see our work. Then we thought, wait, what, what's, what is theatre? what do we know and like about theater? And um, essentially it needs to be live or else is it, is it still theater? Or at least for us, that was really important. Um, so we started thinking about how, yeah, how we would do a live show. And that's, um, that's where Zoom and Gloom came in. 
and we thought, okay, we're all, um, we're all, you know, in our respective um, houses. I was in London, Robin's in Bristol, was in Bristol, Toby was in Western Supermare. Um, we've got the medium of Zoom here. Uh, what can we do? And Toby came up with, yeah, a sort of a Christmas carol lockdown adaptation. You know, there's the really grumpy friend who doesn't want to Zoom with anyone and can't see that that anything good or bad past or present and the value of human connection and uh so he yeah um his family and friends gather and there's the the ghost of oh my gosh I I can't remember you probably remember it better than I do but there's the yeah the ghost of his past the ghost of his present and future I was like were they ghosts we we were ghosts yes I know I remember going we were ghosts yeah yeah there was yeah yeah. And that, yeah, that, you know, they, they try to cheer him up and, and convince him that he is loved and human connection, even if just over Zoom is, is a good thing. And, um, and by the end, he changes his ways and even finds um, p- uh, potential love with an unexpected guest on the, uh, on the Zoom call. So, yeah, it was a direct response to, yeah, to where we were, where we all were and where we were all, how we were all feeling. I think we probably could have interchanged um, actors for, for Scrooge, you know, in terms of like the misery of that time, what a roller coaster it was. But yeah, so while that was performed live, and so we performed that over Zoom using all of the, you know, the, which at that time felt like, oh, how exciting we can screen share and, and I can flip my screen and ooh, a background. So, yeah. you know, people, creative people with too much time in their hands on Zoom. But we, and we, streamed that to YouTube so it was live but we couldn't see or hear the audience they we you know they they said nice things on social media afterwards but we couldn't hear them or feel that they were with us so that was what we were aiming for next so then we went to um so we've done something live and uh and now we want to now we want a live audience and and also um is there a way to, to to engage an audience um in an active way so you know, it really is a, a conversation. So we started thinking about um, a show that Robin and Toby had done previously um, called The Great Big Story Mix-Up, which is uh, an improvised show uh, for young people aged three plus that uses fairy tale tropes and characters um, in never before seen ways to create uh, new stories before your very eyes. And the, the great thing about that show is how involved the audience is. So they choose the props, they choose the costumes, they choose even the characters that, that must appear in the show. And um, one child is also given the horn of song, which whenever it is blown, the actors have to break out into a song. So it turns into a musical for that moment of the show. So we thought, hmm, okay, how would we do this over Zoom? And um, what elements could be added in uh, uh, this new, you know, technical environment? So again, we went to um, the wizard that is Will Monks, who the um, animator, lighting designer, videographer. Is there anything that man can't do? Uh, and he, yeah, so, and this idea emerged uh, where we would invite children to send in drawings of places that they would like to see in the show will would animate the drawings and then the performers would by this point you could be in the same we weren't in a lockdown so we could all be in the same um studio 
Will would project the um, the drawings in such a way in the space that the actors could see where they were in relation to the drawings and act within the children's drawing, if you will. So that and yes, and then um, when we came to performing that, there were I think there was a limit to like maybe thirty screens um, and there was uh, thirty partic participants. Um, and in the performance space, there was another big screen set up where the actors could see all of the audience members and hear them. So there were the audience were as close as possible to being in the room with us. There was genuine interaction um, uh, and the and an additional element that kind of justified, you know, you, like it brought something new to the show that you wouldn't get if you were just doing it um, in a in, live in a theatre. So that was the. And that was the end of our the, the last stage of our um, how to make theatre in pandemic. I really I really like the like the element of like technology that's like in in the shows and that's come from I suppose the Zoom stuff and from lockdown. Do you think that will continue when you do um, next year when you tour dinosaurs and all that rubbish? Do you think that'll be something that you will incorporate in live shows as well? We've talked about it. We're not we don't have the answer just yet, but I think um, we were talking about potentially bringing in that animated element to the illustrations um, so that they could maybe appear on the stage as part of the theatre design. But um, I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. I think for now we're, we're going to keep it separated. But it, it feels, yeah, uh, so many artists and companies must have learned so many new tricks during um you know during 2020 and 2021 that i hope there is space for for those skills to develop and and still be a part of the work because yeah as you say there are you know they they bring um interesting possibilities and opportunities that well we wouldn't have thought of had we not been forced to so yeah and i think yeah i think they do as well especially for for family theater if it's sort of big big shows you know sort of the, be at the national things like that you would get that element but it's quite nice if sort of you know, smaller shows are, like incorporate that as well. I think that will probably be quite different and quite sort of interesting, I think. Um, how did the tour of uh, This Island's Mind go this year? Yeah, it was, um, oh, it was great. It was so nice for that show, which was made in February, March, 2020, to finally go out, you know, a, a, almost a, over a year um, after it was scheduled to, to finally go out in, yeah, autumn, 2021. Um, and it was it was wonderful. We worked with a lot of new artists on that show, so I feel like we 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 met and collaborated with um, people that we we very much hope to work with again. Um, and that was so exciting, uh, not just for working with new people, but a reminder of how wonderful theatre is as a job that you get to meet all like new people all the time. And and coming out of yeah the the year that we'd all had, it was like going to a sort of work party and all these great new friends being there and yeah so it, the team was just amazing and um and brought it together so smoothly that uh and by some miracle we 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 weren't coveted we did have some some venues um had to reschedule and, and pull out but but none of the cast fell ill at the t um over the 12-week tour which I, I count um ourselves very lucky for that but yeah that that show was it was a bold one. So it was, it's like a reimagined sequel to The Tempest, whereby um, it imagines that Caliban, who's left on the island, Ariel, who um, in our version comes back to the island, and Stefano, who also comes back to the island, each represent 
a different person through time in the sort of colonization situation. So Stefano represented a Western colonizer, um, Caliban, a religious refugee, and Ariel, uh, um, an indigenous or a first person's perspective. And it was aimed at seven plus. So trying to find age appropriate ways to speak about colonization and land rights and immigration and refugees um, to, to young people in a way that would stimulate discussion and encourage them to ask questions about that was tricky. And the style that it was presented in was a, a Brechtian style. So in rehearsals, I remember feeling like, oh, are the young audience going to get the sort of layers of this? Are they going to take it on the surface layer? In which case they will definitely get the wrong message and um, that would be very bad. But actually it was, uh, I didn't have enough faith in, in young people and, and, um, and yeah, it was, it was received well. Uh, I think it was boldly unpatronizing in the way that it discussed those issues. And um, I, as, as a producer, I felt a sense of relief when, that they were being, you know, that they were being received the way that we intended them and, and um, that really interesting questions were being asked by very young people and a great uh, impact that the, the show was having. Um, we toured to, what was it? Just on the Arts Council report. I think it was um, 23 schools and in the end, um, 10 theatres. So it was a solid, yeah, a solid tour. The actors worked very hard. They were great. And um yeah, and there was a forum theatre workshop that was paired with the show um, that took place immediately afterwards. So it was a really, yeah, it was a really rich sort of offering. Yeah, yeah. that sounds amazing, especially with, yeah, with that subject matter and trying to raise questions and with sort of seven plus year olds as well. And the forum theatre stuff must have been really interesting. There are different opinions through different places where you went and performed the show throughout the country. Yeah, where did we perform? So we were, we were in the southwest, a little bit in the southeast, um, we're up in the Midlands a little bit and down in Cornwall. And I think the, the common thing that came out or the, or the like consistent thing that came out was just how one question leads to another question, which leads to another, or one solution to the problem of who should, so who owns the island, which was the question that the play is left on, um, or who should own the island, uh, of which there isn't a clear, simple answer to. And one solution, you know, it was interesting to see children discover that one solution would lead to another problem, which would lead to another solution, which would lead to another problem. And so just how rolling and complicated and complex those issues are and, and how it, it's not about finding the one answer, but, but like un unpacking and exploring the, the, the issues that, um, that are underneath. underneath. Um, so yeah, so, but some uh, children were so inventive with their sort of solutions. Um, yeah, they're just uh, amazing what they what they think what they, what they come up with just to solve these problems that I've definitely would never have thought of myself. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the way. Yeah, the way their minds work, where they kind of, I suppose, as you get older, you just think of it in kind of like a really literal but kind of in like a different way that like an almost feels like logical whereas they'll be like let's do this and you're like, I've never like wouldn't couldn't even consider that as an adult to like even kind of contemplate because their imagination and minds are so open and everything that, that they can just kind of go to that sort of place probably want to end on by just say what are your like inspirations and are there other theatre companies that you want to kind of yeah who, what companies inspire you and what companies inspire Ralph's about are they the same are they different 
Oh, the first company that I thought of is uh, is definitely uh, there's a crossover for for me personally and for Russ about, and it's a company called Brana Theatre. And I saw there, so I, I went to a children's theatre festival in Galway recently called Babaro. And um, this company do a lot of clowning and puppetry and object theatre. And they present, again, it's family work. And they really nailed the as enjoyable for children as adults um, thing in, in this show. It was the first that I'd seen of theirs. And it was called Rotha, Roha, which, is, um, which means bicycle. And the, the premise was it was two uh, clowns stuck in a bicycle workshop with nowhere to go but their imagination and all the tools around them to bring their imagination to life. And it was a joyous mix of, of, of story, of imagination, of puppetry, of physical comedy, of like heart. It had, it, it, it had everything. It, it wasn't, it, yeah, it was silly, but it made you feel so much. And I just went away with, inspired in that way when you you know you see a piece of theater and and all you want to do is talk about it I was there on my own so I went to a cafe and wrote it all down (laughs) in my diary but yeah it was just tingling with yeah with inspiration after I'd 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 seen that and I mean that's the first of of their were um their productions that I've seen but I would be um, very hungry to see more yeah that that I, I think even there's uh I I love clowning and that as a tool to um to to, well for human expression and to tell stories and so I also love the work of a physical comedian clown called uh, Trigvi Wakenshaw um who has done shows uh called there was a show called Kraken there was a show called I think it was called Squid Boy but now I'm like Squid Game am I mixing things up I'm pretty sure it's called Squid Boy um and yeah he uh he's just he he tells um communicates so much through his body and um and through mime and through clowning and yeah I walk away from those shows with that same tingly feeling of like I don't know that the, the human human connection without words I think is something I find very in, um inspiring and and, and it, it, again it's asking um quite a lot of the audience you know you you have to imagine if to bring your imagination to that kind of work like any good theater but um but but yeah, particularly when it um, involves so much physical comedy and 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 clown. So yeah, I I'm, I'm they are my two inspirations for the day. Oh yeah, I'll um I'll look them up because they sound really really interesting and really yeah really exciting. Are there any plans for Roust about to tour in Australia? Oh, that's a great question. So I'm yes, I'm currently making them. It's um so I'm yeah I'm here in Sydney for uh another two months and um it's an extended holiday because I've been away for so long you know the obvious uh it has yeah it's given it's actually a really good opportunity to make some connections here and, and share Roustabout's work and so I very much hope so there's a um a brilliant festival in Sydney that happens every year called Sydney Fest um and then of course um Adelaide Fringe and Melbourne Fringe and other um there's a brilliant festival over in Perth uh so I'm yeah I'm trying to make us some connections and um who knows maybe dinosaurs and all that rubbish will go down under in 2023 (laughs) yeah that'd be really that'd be really exciting that'd be really nice cool thank you thanks shay thanks for your time for coming on the podcast my pleasure thank you for getting up so early to host me great well yeah love to chat to you just one look and then my heart went 